I had the opportunity, um, I serve on the, the National uh, Mennonite uh, Brethren Board. Uh, SunWest is part of the Mennonite Brethren Conference. And if you didn't know that, now you do know that. Um, and if you want to leave right now because you heard the word Mennonite, that's totally fine. We'll just give you a few minutes to do that. You guys okay? Okay. Um, People have all sorts of ideas when they hear the word Mennonite, but we're a part of a church family called the Mennonite Brethren Church, and we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, throughout this, this series. Uh, and I serve in leadership on the, the National Executive Board, and we were in meetings uh, in Vancouver uh, this past week, and I, I flew down on Sunday afternoon, and I got in the airplane, and there was a baby in the seat like right in front of me, and I'm like, oh, great. Uh, and then I look beside me, and there was a, there was a little dog in the seat beside me. But I look in the whole plane, the whole plane's full, and at least there's an empty seat beside me, so I get to like spread out a little bit, right? Uh, sure enough, right before takeoff, there's this mom and her toddler that are in the back bathroom, uh, and they walk up, and they're like, excuse me, I'm sitting there, and they come in with their toddler. The toddler didn't even have their own seat. And so I had like two babies, a dog, and this kid that was kicking me, uh, and, uh, and I'm trying to, like, get some work done working on the sermon this week. And so uh, it was not as productive as I would have hoped on that plane ride there. But uh, when we were there, we had a great meeting and, a, and some important items that I want to highlight for you a little bit later. I also saw uh, Pastor Willie while we were there. Uh, some of you guys will recognize Willie. He was a pa- he found the founding pastor here, so we had a... A good uh, couple of hour uh, coffee there on the one day, and it was good, uh, good to connect with him. So I believe that we are in the middle of a hinge point in history. If we go back the first century, we're familiar with the story. You might be familiar with the story. I shouldn't assume that, but uh, God... Christians believe that God came in the form of human flesh in the person of Jesus, and that he led a sinless life, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and he was raised to life on the third day. And that resurrection life is available to all who believe in him, call him their Lord, enter into his kingdom. And in the first century, there was a global movement that started with people that believed that God had started a new thing, that the kingdom of God had come to earth And a tiny band of Jesus followers started what we know as the church, and it's still going and growing and changing 2,000 years later. As the church grew, grew in numbers, and it became a force within culture, it became opportunistic for those in political positions of power to partner with this movement. And so there was this joining of church and state that happened over time. And pretty soon, these Jesus followers felt like, I'm not sure the church right now is the church that God intended. And so about 500 years after this church movement started, there was kind of a reformation of sort that happened. That people that felt, you know what, I'm not sure that this political agenda movement is what Jesus had in mind. And so we're going to separate and, st- and go back to the roots of what our faith is about. And there began to be something called the monastic movement. And you see a picture there on the screen of 
Gregory the Great, um, who was one of many leaders that kind of led into this, mon this monasticism, this uh, leaving this politically charged church body and saying, you know what, we're going to go back to the roots of what this thing was all about. And so we have monasticism uh, led by St. Gregory, building on the work of St. Benedict, and he guided Christianity firmly into a monasticism that would protect, preserve, and characterize it, Christianity, for the next five centuries. Around 500 years later, there was a split in the Christian church. Up until that point, the understanding was that there was one church, and there was a split between east and west. Rome excommunicated Constantinople, and Constantinople, which saw itself as Constantine's creation of a better, pure Rome, returned the compliment. So there's a separation. There was a disagreement on who was actually leading the church. Where was the center of Christian faith? And so you ended up with Rome being the center of Roman Catholicism and Constantinople being the center of Eastern Orthodoxy or Greek Orthodoxy. And this is referred to as the Great Schism. And they differed on what language they thought was the godly, holy language. They differed on whether we should put yeast in communion bread or not. Uh, they differed on understanding of should we have icons in worship. And you think, you know, what's the big deal? Was that really worth that split? Well, it was a really, really big deal back then. And so we had this great schism that separated Christian faith into two parts, the West and the East. Around 500 years later, this idea of church and state started coming together again in a new way, and we have something that we refer to as the Great Reformation, and our, often Martin Luther is, is kind of coined as the leader that um, kind of changed the hinge point uh, from one era to the next, although there was many church leaders that were involved in that Reformation. Christianity became a global religion as part of the Great Reformation. A large part of that globalization was in direct consequence of, of the, uh, what we would refer to as Protestants, that was the, what came after that great reformation, reformation, the insistence on literacy that every person should have scripture in their hands. There's the printing press. And so very soon, everybody who was a follower of Jesus would have the opportunity to have a Bible in their hands. And so empowering the common person, not just those who are in church authority, but actually bringing faith and authority into the common people created this breakaway from the Roman Catholic Church and Protestantism, because of that, never really had a center. And so what happened is there was division upon division, splinter upon splinter, because the heart of Protestantism was always returning back to the heart of Christian faith. And people believed because they had the scriptures in their hands that they were the authority on you know, we could decide what that was. We we're going to reject the church authorities and we're going to break off and start a purer movement. And so what, what we saw happen was something that looks a little bit like this. And so you might wonder where we sit in this whole thing and I'm just going to, I'm just going to point it out for you. Here's the Mennonites right, right there. All of these breaks and divisions and splits and and we're not purely from here. We're you know we got connections you know in other places, 
all over this tree. But that's kind of where we sit, kind of in that, in that tree, and we'll talk that, about that more in coming weeks. But at the heart of the Reformation was this belief that the common person actually could connect directly with God, and because of that, people felt they had the authority to start new movements within the movement that was preceding them. And in fact, if you go back 500 years before Jesus, you'll find the decimation of Solomon's temple and the beginning of Babylonian captivity. If you go on 500 years before that, you have the end of the age of judges and the beginning of Israel's monarchy. And so what I'm trying to describe to you is a is a thesis that has been developed by a number of scholars who would say that every 500 years, there is a cultural, religious, political reformation. A significant shift from what was preceding it to what is happening now. You see a summary there. This past October was the 500th anniversary of the Great Reformation. And so we can look back and we can see how things have changed, faith has changed, structures have changed, the movement of the Christian church has changed, and now we're here at another hinge point in history. Phyllis Tickle called, uh, she wrote a book on this and she titled it The Great Emergence, which is what she coined as the next era that the church is heading into. What is it? What's happening? And why do I start here? Because I would say that Sun West is in a reformation. But as I interact with other churches in our province, other churches in our nation, as we connect with people around the globe, it's very clear that what is happening in Sun West is not just in Sun West. What is happening here is just a microcosm of what is happening across the globe. That there's changes. That we're exiting from, we're exiting this world of modernity and an empirical faith and returning to ancient forms of history. This belief not just in empirical thought and that we can, in the scientific revolution, that we can just figure it all out if we, if we just learn enough, if we study enough, and there's a return to the supernatural and the spiritual and this acknowledgement that we're not just beings with brains, but we're beings with spirit. The globalization in our world has walls of division that were built on historical categories, and th these things are breaking down. You have charismatic Roman Catholics reading Eastern Orthodox theology. That's what you have. You have terrorism and radical religion. You have, you have a generation that is growing up that never knew life without the internet. Did you guys know life without the internet? You were, you were like birthed out of the internet. So you guys have never known a world in which global information was not at the touch of your fingertips. And what's happening is, is the church is reforming and wrestling And we're at a hinge point in history. 
Things are changing, shifting, feeling unstable, feeling dizzy. And what do you do? Do you go back and cling to what preceded you? Because if you go back to all these reformations through history, what you will find is a group of people that insisted on trying to hang on to what preceded them for a sense of balance. And some brave souls that were willing to reach into the future and imagine something that didn't precede them, that something that didn't quite exist yet. So what do you do when you're at a hinge point in history? Use an Aquarius. Got a short video clip here for you. Use an Aquarius. Uh, Jam, we've got another course correction for you. What's up? Something about another course correction. Uh, we copy, uh, Houston. Uh, be advised, it's going to take Fredo and I a while to power up the computer for the uh, alignment platform if we have to fire the engine. Uh, negative on that, Jim. Can't uh, spare power for the computer. We've got to do this blind. Uh, Houston, without the computer, what do we use for orientation? Yeah. Sid, come on, we've got to be able to give these guys something up there. Without power, we can't give them a reading. I'm not talking about power, I'm talking about references. No, no, there's no references. We have a bunch of debris up there. Houston, what's the story with this burn? We're trying to hash something out down here, Aquarius. Stand by. Well, now look, Houston, all we need to hold attitude is one fixed point in space. Is that not correct? Yeah, roger that, Jim. Well, Houston, we've got one. If we can keep the Earth in the window, flying manually, the coax crosshair is right on its terminator. All I have to know is how long do we need to burn the engine? The shorter, the better. Roger that, Jim. Can they fly it manually and still shut it down on time without the computer? I guess that's the best we can do, Glenn. We're out of time. Four. Oh, just go. Two. One. Ignition. <laughs> She's burning. Oh, yeah. Master arm off. Okay, here we go. Unit regulator gone. RTS is go 10% thrust. Bring it around, Fredo. It's trying, but it's dragging. 10 seconds. Drop it down, Fredo. We're drifting. No, you hold what you got. I'll roll it. Back off. God, I can't get it stable. Shit, she's dancing all over the place. Come to the right a little bit. 15 seconds. Forward, Fred. Come on. Forward. I lost it. Shut down. That's close enough, Jim. Good work. So what do they do when their instruments weren't working anymore, when they had limited resources, limited fuel, and they needed a fixed point in space to which they could direct their energy towards? And uh, Tom Hanks, or whatever his name is in the, uh, in the video, says, we have a fixed point. We have the earth. Let's, let's put our sights, let's put our resources, let's put any, everything in that direction. And I would, I would argue that in these hinge points in history, the piece that 
moves people from one era to the next, from the former to whatever's next. For those that are willing to actually release grip on what preceded them and embrace what God has for them is this resolve to focus on the great commission and the great commandment. I believe that that is the earth. That is the fixed point for the Christian church to navigate the cultural times. Matthew 28 says this, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It's referred to as the great commandment. Love God with everything. What do you do when you're in the state of imbalance? State of chaos. Focus on loving God with everything. Sorry, the previous reference was Matthew 22. This is Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, this is the great commission. I have given you all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach the, teach the new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what do you do? Focus on loving God with everything that you got. Recognize that your love of God is intricately connected to your love of people. Focus on the great commission that Jesus calls us to follow in his footsteps, to teach what he taught us, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. What's a disciple? It's a follower of Jesus, someone who lives in obedience to the leading of Jesus. I want to read a chapter of the Bible to you. We don't do this very often. Can you guys stay awake for a whole chapter of Scripture? Genesis 26. And I... I would just preface this with, I've, I've kind of viewed this parable in this past week as a, somewhat of a, just a picture for us, a parable maybe. Now there was famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as, num as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give, give them all these lands. And, though your offspring, all and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because... Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the man of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife, he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she's beautiful. The translation of that Hebrew word beautiful is she's smoking hot. 
When, I, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and, said, and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I, thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the, in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with dirt. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled against those of Isaac and said, this water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. That's what the word Esek means. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. So he named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will, we will flourish in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuazoth, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his Forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you're blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servant came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. It's a fascinating story. And it, it, it's just, it's just the, in the grand story of Genesis, there's this chapter 26, this very specific story that almost seems a little bit out of place with what's around it. But I just want to highlight a couple of things in the story that God gives a vision for the future at the beginning of it. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So this is the promise. This is the vision that God had given to Abraham. Here's a picture of the future. You're going to inherit this land that I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to the entire world. And what's notable is even in Isaac's deception and sin, God still works out his promise. Isn't that encouraging? 
And you see that throughout Scripture, that God chooses a person to work through, and that person fumbles his way along, doesn't do things perfectly, yet God in his redemptive sovereign power is able to continue to bring his plan to fruition. And God is blessing his people. He blessed Isaac so much that Isaac had a hundredfold in his harvest. A hundredfold. That's a lot. I'm not a farmer, but that's a lot. This past week when I was in Vancouver, I was, uh, I was uh, connecting with the pastor who is currently in Abbotsford, used to be in Saskatchewan, and, uh, and he asked about how SunWest was doing, and so we had a conversation, and he, he said to me, he's like, he's like, you guys, you guys were a beacon of hope and light and mission really to this entire nation. The blessings of God. Our little tribe here in South Calgary has an inheritance, has a legacy. And it's not about the, the fame or the name of Sun West, but that God has used this body through the last 23 years to not only bless South Calgary, but to be a beacon of hope and light for a nation. And that comment preceded me. It preceded us. And I said to him, I said, I know. But God's not done with us yet. And God's doing new things. We have an inheritance. And when we think about wells, so this, this picture we have in Genesis 26 is a story about wells moving from one well to another. And what is a well? Well is this place in a desert, in a dry land. How do you find water? It's a place that was dug to try and get down to where there was water so that they could have life. It was a place of life. It was a place of community. It was a place of gathering. And if we look past through our history, through our inheritance, we would say there's places in our history where God has done amazing things and there's been life where we've been blessed. And the enemy at times has come and filled these wells with dirt. For whatever reason. So the enemy comes, tries to weaken them, to literally suck the life out of them by filling the wells that they've dug with dirt. Both wells that Isaac's father Abraham dug were filled with dirt. And so they went back and they found that they found life when they redug the wells of their father. They redug the wells that were dug before them. So they dug them up. And you can imagine, it must be exhausting to dig wells, right? I don't know how, how far they got to dig, but they dig them up. I don't know how many people would take to dig a well. And they find water. 
And the enemy comes, and it says because of the jealousy of the enemy, the enemy chases them away, fills their wells with dirt. So they come another well. They dig another well. Dig another well. Maybe days. They find water. They find life. The enemy comes, throws dirt on it, fills up the well. And so they go through digging old wells, and they find water in them, and then they move on to digging new wells and find water in them. They need water, so they keep digging. And I believe that the Lord is calling Sun West to dig. He's calling us to go back and dig into the blessings and the inheritance that he started here 23 years ago. But what he's going to do in us is a new thing. It's not going to look exactly like the old thing. And so we got to dig new wells too. And the enemy is going to come. And the enemy is going to pile on dirt. But we got to keep digging. We got to keep digging. And this series, the church I see, I believe is a series of an invitation to say, Son, would you grab the shovel? Would you grab the shovel and we're going to go back and we're going to dig and we're going to, we're going to live out the blessing of our inheritance. 23 years ago, there was a church planted in South Calgary, a church that was focused on mission, that had that in the window, to love God with everything we got and to love people, to be on mission, to see people come to know Jesus and become disciples of Jesus who would disciple others. This is our inheritance. But it's not going to look exactly like it looked in the past. It might look a little bit different. And when we think of what God has done throughout history, every time there's been a transition from an old era to a new era, it took things from the previous era into the new era. But it didn't try and replicate what had happened before it. We're not trying to relive our past. We're trying to live out of our inheritance and seek the Lord for what's in our future. This past uh, week at, at the meetings I was at, um, so there's a lot of change going on nationally. And, you know, we don't talk about this stuff here at SunWest. We kind of stay in our little corner. But we're part of a bigger family of 250 churches in our particular family in this nation. It's been an intense few years. A couple of years ago, we dismissed our leader, who was Willie, former pastor here. And since that time, we've engaged in a national restructuring. Does this sound familiar? And so we've been in the process the last couple of years to consider what would it look like for an entire nation, for provinces, for local churches, for different agencies to actually put the Great Commission, the Great Commandment in the window. We've called it One Mission to look forward with one mission and say, what would it look like for us to partner and collaborate without agendas, without ego, and to say, if this is what we're all about, how do we, do, how do we go about this more effectively? And in 2006, I've talked to Paul Owen about this. Some of you know Paul. I've talked to Willie about this. You know, there's leaders in a room, and they were saying, they are talking about this dream and this vision they had that, people would lay down their agendas and say, what would it look like for this to become the main thing across our nation? 
And they spoke the words, I don't believe there will ever be a day when local churches, provinces, different agencies would all come together in one mission. I don't think we'll see that day in our lifetime. Well, this past week, it's amazing what crisis does. It's amazing what chaos does. As we've been processing this past week, we had, we had uh, representatives from the MB Seminary in Canada there. We had our Bible colleges there. We had MB Mission as a global organization planning churches and reaching the most unreached people groups in the entire world there. We had C2C, who is our church planning arm, who is uh, planting churches across Canada, not only for our family, but get this, they're planting churches along in partnership with 28 other denominations in Canada. We had the provincial leaders of every conference. And the decision was made in that room that it was time to change the way we work and relate to one another. In order to do this, every single province, every single leader, every single organization would have to die to self and do what was best to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to this nation. So the executive board, which I was a part of, took a unanimous vote to begin to change the way we work to work in a spirit of collaboration with optimal effectiveness to reach Canada with the good news of Jesus and to see our nation and our provinces transformed by his kingship and his lordship. And so we had leaders in these different provinces, different agencies uh, that were just weeping. People that had been there a long time that didn't think this day would come where people would get on their knees and preceded this in these last couple of years have been times of confession and repentance of people coming together and laying down personal agendas and saying, you know, we can do this together. People grabbing the shovel and saying, we could dig together. And part of it, we got to redig what's our inheritance and the good things from our past. But we also got to dig new wells. And the future is going to be a combination of both. Steve Berg, who is our interim executive director in the national conference, the last two months has had severe vertigo. He's been, he can't even walk, this, this past weekend he was, he had to be helped around. I mean, I had to help him into the washroom. Thankfully he could go to the washroom on his own. But I, you know, I walked him to the washroom. And Steve has been rallying leaders. Let's work together. Let's work together. And so at this moment, when we had this, uh, when we had this, this moment of uh, saying we're going to operate in the new day, you know, Steve is sitting on his table. He's weeping. And, uh, you know, other leaders are standing up and we, we give a time of thanksgiving and prayer uh, prayers of thanksgiving because of what God is doing in our nation. And, uh, and Steve can't stand because he's got severe vertigo. He can't even balance himself. But he's just sitting there, just praising God, thanking God for what God's doing. And, and somebody starts singing the doxology. And I don't know if you guys know the doxology. Praise God from whom all... You guys know that song? So the whole, the whole room starts singing this song. All the different provinces, different agencies. Praising God, from whom all blessings flow. All creatures here below, 
Praise Him among ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And as we're singing the doxology, Steve stands up and he's like, I've been healed. And he starts running around the room and he's dancing and he's like, I've been healed. And he's like weeping and people are weeping and he's giving everybody hugs. And we've got provinces and agencies coming together. And, and, and it's like in this moment, so get this church, in this moment, I believe that Steve was carrying in his body the imbalance of what was happening in our nation. The vertigo of what's happening in our nation, the chaos of what's, you know, even when we go back to the slide, what's happening in our nation, in our globe. And when we put the Great Commission and the Great Commandment in the window and we say, we're going to make this about, this is about every, everything we're about is about this. Can you get on, can you, can you grab the shovel? You want to be about that? Yeah. Can you grab the shovel? Yeah, let's be about that. And as we do that, the Lord takes away our imbalance. He takes away our vertigo. And I believe that what happened to Steve, and, I, and I've shared with him a bit of what's going on in our church, and he's like, man, you guys are like just a microcosm of everything that's happening in the nation. I was like, yeah. And so I said, can I share your story with our church on Sunday? He's, he said, yeah, go for it. Because I feel like it's a good picture for us as well. That when we say, yes, Jesus, we want to be about the things that you're about. We want to be willing to redig old wells and honestly, I hear fear of, you know, we don't want to be about the past. So let's, let's just go forward. Well, we're all a part of our past. And I believe that there's an inheritance of the great commandment, the great commission that was planted here 23 years ago that God is calling to put, it, put that back in the window. Are you willing to lay down your agendas? Are you willing to lay down your opinions and say, we all want to be about that? And if our methodology has become methodolatry, we got to lay that down too. You guys understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we get, you, we just think this is the way we do things. Well, sometimes a new day calls for a new way of doing things. And Jesus said, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. You got to put new wine into new wineskins. And so we stand at this intersection in history. We stand at this intersection in SunWest history. And we look back and we thank you, Jesus, for the inheritance that we have as a church in South Calgary. But we also look forward and say, we're not living in the past. We're living in the future. And my invitation is to dig. Would you dig with me, church? Would you dig with me? Would you grab a shovel? Will you come back and say, what was SunWest founded on? Because the very thing that was founded on, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, is the very thing that is going to propel us into the future and what God has for us. So would you stand with us and sing? Would you take a shovel and would you dig?